Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Do No Harm ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. It had been 20 hours since the CPS investigator, LeVar Jones, showed up at Dylan and Melissa Bright's house and took their children. They had barely slept. Now, on a Thursday afternoon, they sat in Dennis Slate's law office and waited. And it went well past five o'clock, and most of his office had already started to leave for the day. Finally, Dennis, a former Army officer with short, sandy blonde hair, came out to the waiting area. He shook their hands and invited them back into his office. And Melissa just started explaining our story. You know, he interrupted at certain key points and and asked certain questions. He was very obviously sympathetic to our whole case. Dennis listened closely. Because they were both almost unable to get through and tell me what's going on because they were crying and disheveled and tired looking. And just the whole thing obviously was wearing on them. Dylan played him the audio recording from the night before. Right away, something did not seem right to Dennis. These kids were home, they were safe. They came and removed safe kids, and they didn't do it immediately. They waited till late in the afternoon at nighttime when they couldn't overturn it, they couldn't contact a lawyer. He asked Dylan and Melissa to show him the court order granting CPS authority to take their kids. But LeVar hadn't left any paperwork. They literally came into our house, took our kids, and we knew nothing. I was incredulous. I said, I said what do you mean they didn't give you any? They, they have to. I said, by law. I pulled up the book. I, I showed them in the code. It says, it says right here they have to give you paperwork. Are you sure you didn't get paperwork? He told the Brightside evening that he would do everything in his power to bring their kids home. But it would not be easy. Or cheap. His upfront fee to begin working on a case was $10,000. And the cost would only grow from there. I tell clients early on that I'm a, I'm a really hard lawyer to hire because, look, I'm going to spend a lot of time to get your kids back. Dylan and Melissa didn't have that kind of cash. At that moment, we didn't care. We were going to do everything possible to get that money together to immediately get it to Dennis. After the Brights left that evening, Dennis stayed at his desk for another four hours, past 11 p.m., studying Mason's medical records. The Brights' story and the sound of Melissa's sobs in the recording of CPS taking her children haunted Dennis. His own kids were already asleep by the time he got home that night. He looked in on them, safe in their own beds. The next day, he would try to track down the Bright children and begin fighting to bring them home. But by then, the damage was already done. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. 
Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. My two hands can't hold you back from harm. From NBC News and Wondery, I'm Mike Hixenbaugh, and this is Do No Harm. This is episode five, The Fighter. Over the years, Dennis has earned a reputation among fellow lawyers who routinely handle CPS cases in Houston. Some describe him as hyper-aggressive, combative even. I was going to describe Dennis as a dick, but in a good way. Ryan Mitchell was the lawyer initially appointed on the spot to defend the Brights at their emergency hearing. As soon as Ryan learned that they'd hired Dennis in his place, he knew CPS was in for a fight. Think about it. If you are a father and CPS is trying to rip your kid from your arms, do you want somebody who's going to be passive, who's going to roll over and just accept the status quo? Or do you want the guy that's going to go in there with, you know, guns blazing and you're going to hire a gunslinger? And Dennis is a gunslinger. Dennis is known for showing up on the day of a big hearing with carts full of tech equipment. He hires workers to run cables through the courtroom connecting video screens and speakers with iPads loaded with case records, like a performer staging a major production. That's the part of me that, that enjoyed acting as a kid. Uh, you get to come in and put on a, put on a show uh, for everyone. Then there's his questioning style. Dennis once grilled a CPS medical expert so aggressively, the doctor eventually turned away in her seat in the witness stand, refusing to look at him. In the end, The judge tossed that CPS case and returned two babies to their parents after finding that the doctor and CPS were mistaken. Dennis doesn't care what anyone thinks about him. He believes CPS has an important job, but so does he. There's a line out there of what CPS should do and should not do, and it should be a very bright line that that essentially um, there are people who are raising their kids and the government shouldn't interfere with them how they raise them unless they are actually harming um, children. And sometimes CPS is, comes over that, that line and it basically starts imposing their will on how people parent their kids when the kids aren't being harmed. I see my job as pushing back and trying to make sure that line stays very bright and not crossed. A day after meeting the Brights, Dennis went to work, firing off a flurry of texts and emails to his contacts at CPS and in the county attorney's office. One of them called back with the details of Charlotte and Mason's foster care placements. And that was when he learned that things were worse than he thought. CPS took these two little babies in the middle of the night 
and one of them being pretty medically fragile, and they split them up in two different foster cares. Not only had Charlotte and Mason been separated from their parents, they had been separated from each other. So we had gone the previous 36 hours assuming they at least had each other, and that was not the case. And a new wave of emotion of rage and anger and frustration overcame us because why did they do that to them? Then Dennis called the county attorney assigned to represent CPS in the Bright's case. Dennis told him, You got big problems with this case. You need to do something, and you're only going to make it worse if these kids stay in foster care. I've got a tape of your guy with family sitting there begging, and he ignores family and goes and sticks them in two separate foster cares. This is going to be a big problem. you got to fix it now. True to his word, Dennis delivered. Within hours, CPS agreed to release Charlotte and Mason from their foster homes and into the care of Dylan's aunt and uncle. The state still had custody of both children, but at least they would be with family and each other. The next day, a Saturday, LeVar was supposed to drop the kids off with Dylan's aunt and uncle. LeVar said he would be there around 3 p.m. As soon as he finished officiating a funeral, his side job, Dylan and Melissa arrived early, eager to see their kids again after two days apart. We were just all excited and anticipating the kids coming home, You know, you have this idealistic view of what that's going to be like, you know, mommy, mommy, mommy. And Mason's ear-to-ear grin with his chunky cheeks and his no neck. And you just can't wait to see both of them and to experience that joy. Then LeVar finally turns into the driveway. So the moment the car pulled up, of course, you know, Melissa and I run outside. and, And instantly we knew something was wrong. And I open one side of the car, and Dylan goes around to the other side of the car to open it. And I um, open the door to Charlotte's side, and it was not anything that I had dreamt of all day. Mason, you know, we, we get Mason out of the car first, and, and his, his face is swollen from crying so much. He He's hoarse. He's so hoarse, he doesn't even have a voice, and so he's he's trying to cry, but he can't even get he can't even get any sound out. And I'm like, well, how long did he have to cry like that before he became that hoarse? Why was he hoarse? You know, is he hungry? Has anybody tried to to feed him? Or and and Charlotte, we get her out of the car, and and, and here's my little girl. She's she's wearing somebody else's clothes. Um, not the clothes that we packed her, it's some, someone, other kid's clothes. The dress that she's wearing is on backwards. It's on inside out and backwards. She was almost yellowed in the face, and it's like she was so severely exhausted that she wasn't even cognitive of what was around her. There was, there was no, like, even recollection that I was there or that I was mommy. And to make matters worse... Charlotte had a black eye. Melissa gasped when she noticed the injury, then lifted her daughter into her arms. And I immediately fling around and I look at LeVar and I stare at him in the eyes and said, what happened to her? What did you do? What? Why does she have this? It's puffy under her eye and there's a huge gash under it. I'm fuming at this point. My child is hurt and I don't know how or why. He told me was there's an incident report for that. 
Apparently, Charlotte had fallen out of a bed at the foster home and hit her face on a dresser, LeVar explained, though he didn't have a copy of the report. And I looked at him and I was like, well, why was she in a bed? She's only ever slept in a toddler bed. Like, why was she in a bed large enough, I mean, high enough to cause a black eye and a gash across her face? On top of all of that, one of their main instructions hadn't been followed. The night LeVar took the children, Dylan and Melissa had sent him with a list, including crucial information about Charlotte's dairy allergy. But when they went to change her diaper... I mean, and it was just a severe, severe diaper rash, and she had only been gone not even two full days. Later, when they read LeVar's notes in Charlotte's case file, they learned that she'd been crying when he dropped her off at the foster home. And the only way the foster family could calm her down was by giving her a cup of milk. I mean, it was just crushing. I mean, so we were happy to have them back, but but to have your kids come back to you in that condition was just awful. I mean, now, now we're, I was really furious. Dylan and Melissa struggled to keep their cool in front of the kids. At least their children were together again with family. They'd been reunited at Aunt Dolores' house for just a few minutes when they heard a knock on the door. The next thing we know, LeVar knocks back on the door. I thought he had already left at this point. He was probably in his car for you know, five or six minutes. I thought he was already gone. But he came back in to tell us that um, Dylan and I weren't allowed to stay at the house. And Naisha told LeVar that, oh, well, those kids are still under CPS's custody because we haven't, we had the court order, so they're still in our custody. So Dylan and Melissa aren't allowed to be anywhere near them unless there's a CPS agent with them. And I just, oh man, I had lost it at that point. I, I just... I, at some point in time, I have you begin to believe it's personal, like like there's some type of just vendetta against us. I just didn't understand how they could possibly keep hitting us with stuff. Oh my gosh, it was that was fuel to a raging fire. I'm like, really? All of the stuff you just made us experience, all the stuff that you put us through, and now we can't even stay at the house. And so he had to escort us out of the house. Melissa asked Lavar to put Naisha Edwards, his supervisor at CPS, on the phone. The children will be there as with Mr. and Mrs. Jester as the primary caregiver to the children. Regarding visitation, the visitations will take place at the FPS offices until we are in court and court dictate how the visitations were run. Dylan's aunt, Dolores Jester, started to argue. So Based you will not consider changing this, Naisha. No, I am asking I'm, you. I'm not making, I'm not, it's not me just making a decision. Well, you are telling, okay. excuse me, I'm going to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. I'm very frustrated and I'm going to react in a frustrated manner. Are you telling me that you believe that at this point in this stage in these children's development, that it is in the best interest of the children that their mother and father can't see them except for through CPS and that this baby cannot breastfeed until the court says it. Because you're getting to make that decision. And I'm just saying, this is a decision that does not appear to be in the best interest of these children's welfare. Ms. Jester, what I am telling you is that we're already a placement breakdown. And until the courts dictate anything differently, Mom and dad will have visits at the office. Is that something that you're able to ensure happens? At that point, Dylan threw his hands up. It's fine. It's fine. We're going to comply. We're not, yeah, we'll I'm not, I'm not. Right it's away. fine. We're, no more. Fine. We're done. We'll We're agree. complying. Thank you. We'll go. We'll leave. Okay. Thank you so much. Until a court said otherwise, they would only be allowed to see their children for one hour a week, 
with a CPS worker supervising. Okay, well, I have my phone. It was nice speaking to you all. Thank all you, right. Thank you, Ms. Edwards. Lavar explained to the Brights he didn't realize it was going to be this way. So, you know, um, I didn't, you know, during that time, I didn't know about any different visitation. I didn't know. You know, throughout that day, talking to uh, my supervisor regarding, you know, the situation and the circumstances regarding he, the visits. He's the foot soldier that's following whatever commands he was given. But, but when no, did no, they no, make but listen, that command? It doesn't matter because okay. it was a scramble Friday just to get them here. They are here and I don't hear anyone. Okay. So, and that's what we wanted to do. And, and Dylan and Melissa got their things together and gave both kids a hug and a kiss. Having to say goodbye to their kids for the second time in three days broke Melissa's heart, but she was too angry to cry. We were just beyond ourselves because we had waited all day, all day to finally have our kids back in our arms and now we had to leave again. The only thing that made it better was knowing that they were with family and that they were safe and that I could FaceTime them all night. And, and it just, it's just crushing because you, it didn't matter how hard you fight, you, you still, your kids still come back and they're still hurting. And they're not just physically, but emotionally too. And, and it's like, you, okay, well, what, what kind of damage do they gonna carry? That night, after Dylan and Melissa had left, Aunt Dolores got Charlotte undressed and into the bathtub while Uncle Bobby tended to Mason. The two-year-old seemed confused after spending two days with strangers, but she was too small to express it. So she was so sad and hurting and scared, and, but she couldn't tell me things. That first night and in the days that followed, Charlotte tensed up whenever Dolores' teenage son or someone new came into the room. She was nervous around other people that she normally wouldn't be, and she adores my son. During all of that, I saw fears in her that were unfounded and heartbreaking. It was a struggle getting the kids to sleep that night. What a scary whirlwind these past few days must have been for them. But eventually, they both crashed. As a speech pathologist, Dolores works with small children. That night, she wondered, would these kids be carrying this trauma for the rest of their lives? If you struggle to get in shape and lose weight, I'm about to change your life. I'm Carl, the CEO of Body, and I don't like working out and eating healthy either. So here's how I get myself to do it. I make myself own the morning. And by the morning, I mean the first hour or so of every day. It's not family time. It's not for scrolling social media. It's for my results and for my health. And man, does it work. Every day, I get out of bed, drink a health shake, and then I go crush a workout on the Body app and just follow along day by day. Before most people are even out of bed, I'm done for the day. So here's my special introductory offer to you. If you go to body.com to sign up, the next 5,000 new subscribers will get 72 percent off a full year of access to over 120 programs. Yeah, that's only 33 cents a day to start now and see how fast the pounds come off. And if they don't, you can get your money back, no questions asked. Just go to body.com to save 72 percent and get life-changing results. That's B-O-D-I.com.
So you keep trying to get in shape and it keeps not working. I'm Lacey Green, a super trainer with body. That's B-O-D-I dot com. And I've got a story you have to hear. I have a client who came to me because she was really frustrated that every gym or trainer she tried made her feel bad because she was a beginner. She had tried it all and she just felt humiliated. And that's when we started working together and I took her through my three-week program called For Beginners Only. Once she realized that she wasn't the problem and that she just needed the right program, she started to get results. And now she's completely unstoppable and feeling so strong and confident. And I can do the same for you. On the Body app, subscribers lose five to 10 pounds consistently in their first month. And I bet you will too. In fact, CNN underscore just named Body best fitness app. And right now, Body has a special introductory offer. The next 500 new users who sign up for a year of Body save 72%. That's just 33 cents a day. All you have to do is go to body.com. That's B-O-D-I.com. Dan Phi Nguyen, the son of Vietnamese immigrants, had spent six years at the Harris County Attorney's Office by the time the Bright case landed on his desk. Dan's job was to give legal guidance to CPS, advising the agency on when it was or was not appropriate under the law to seek protective custody of children. And when it was time for CPS to argue its case before a judge, it was Dan's responsibility to represent the agency. The work became his passion. It was... The whole litigation aspect of it, the whole going to court, going to trial, the trial preparation, and then at the same time, the end goal, which was to protect the children. And so it was a meaningful and fulfilling job for me. Over the years, Dan had helped get dozens of children out of dangerous homes and to the relative safety of foster care or to the homes of caring family members. It carried with it a very meaningful purpose to me. I have my daughter and my nieces and nephews who uh, I guess look up to me as as a superhero just because of what I do. But the Bright case wasn't like many of the others. For days leading up to Dylan and Melissa's court hearing, scheduled for two weeks after the removal, Dennis had been calling Dan, repeatedly asking him to drop the case. Are they going to settle? Do they want to settle? Like most lawyers who argue cases in Harris County's family court system, Dan knew Dennis well, both personally and from reputation. They'd squared off against each other in court several times. And on a few occasions, they'd even gotten together with colleagues to play poker outside of work. I know he's a poker player. And uh, I know when he likes to hold it and fold it and that sort of thing. With the Bright case... Dennis was showing all of his cards. He said, your client is in a lot of trouble. Your client, meaning CPS. And I'm willing to let this slide if they're just willing to just dismiss this case and just walk away. Now, you know, as much as I respect Dennis and everything, of course, obviously I can't take just his word for it. Dan wasn't willing to show his cards. But the more he learned about the case, the more he hated the hand he'd been dealt. Dan listened to the audio recording of the removal, provided to him by Dennis. And he read the statement that LeVar had submitted in court, saying he believed Mason and Charlotte were in imminent danger, even though he hadn't checked in on the children in three weeks. It really concerned me that there were things that were mentioned in an emergency hearing that were a little inconsistent with the facts. And I'm like really concerned, like, 
I don't know how, how, especially with the limited time that I had to review the case, I could not exactly formulate, I guess, that quickly as to how I can get around that. Dan also studied the outside expert report written by Dr. Julie Mack, which seemed to cast serious doubt on the conclusion that all of Mason's injuries couldn't have been the result of a fall in the driveway. After reviewing everything, Dan went to Naisha, the CPS supervisor overseeing the case. I basically told him it would be in their best interest to let this case go. It wasn't the first time Dan had butted heads with CPS. I can't say that I've always been CPS's favorite county attorney in representing them because I don't always see eye to eye regarding what is deemed necessary to protect the children. An important aspect of Dan's job was to push back when he believed CPS crossed the line. There have been caseworkers where we just go at it and they just don't want to listen to me. And, and we do tend to get on screaming matches sometimes over the phone and such. But and like I said, this is probably one of those reasons why I was not always their favorite because I don't tell them what they want to hear. I tell them what they need to hear. And they don't always agree. This was one of those times. Attorney-client privilege prohibits Dan from discussing specific details from his confidential conversations with Naisha and her program director. But essentially, despite his concerns, the agency refused to change course. Even with everything that I've shown them, they still wouldn't. Because I think when it comes to dealing with the press and things of that nature, they'd rather err on the side of caution. They don't want to be splashed on the news as being not protective. I guess they would just prefer to be more overly protective as opposed to be not as protective and then a child ends up dead. They start to operate like robots and they're not thinking like human beings outside the box, like really assessing the case as a human being, but everything is like a checkbox here, checkbox there. Dan could only advise CPS, not tell them what to do. He had little choice but to follow his client's lead. When Dennis called him on the first day of October in 2018, a few days before the Bright's court hearing, Dan gave him his final answer. CPS had no intention of dropping the case. I'm sorry, my clients are just not willing and so I just had to move forward and, you know, just really battle it out the best I can. By then, Dennis had called in Stephanie Prophet to help him out on the case. The two lawyers had teamed up in the past. Dennis said he picked me because I was the most difficult person he had ever dealt with. And so he thought that would be a good combination with CPS. For days, they each studied the medical records and case file. Dennis at his Deer Park office east of Houston. Stephanie at hers downtown near the courthouse. They spent hours on the phone, game planning their approach in court. So Dennis, as you know, is former military, and so there's a plan. Everything is very strategic. Dennis is prepared for war and not afraid to start one. A few days before the hearing, Dennis even brought Melissa down to his office and spent a few hours lobbing mock questions at her in case the state called her to testify. The night before the hearing, Dennis was up late at his office, reading and rereading records. And I've got 14 days to prepare for a full-blown trial, and I've got to do everything I can to be prepared for it. I'm not going to walk in there unprepared, and it's not going to be my fault that my clients don't get their kids back. 
I mean, my kid goes off to camp for seven days and I'm in freak out mode trying to find her on the pictures that the camp posts every day because I just want to see her. You can't imagine. What is worse than having your kid taken away? I mean, you'd rather have anything else in your life take away. There's nothing worse. And so I I completely emphasize with clients when it goes on and when it's happening. And and I I tell them, I'm not going to stop until we get them back. The morning of the Bright's hearing, Dennis drove home around 2 a.m., and tried to get a few hours of sleep. He was back up at 6.30 to get ready for court. Across town, Dylan and Melissa were up early too. With four hours until the start of their hearing, they were sitting at an IHOP a couple of miles from the courthouse. Melissa ordered an omelet. Dylan stared down at his coffee, thinking. We just sat there for a really long time, kind of pushing our food around the plate because our nerves were in knots and there's no possible way we could eat anything. And, you know, we were just praying over the day ahead and asking for favor and for understanding and for things to to go our way because you don't know what is ahead. Almost three months after they'd rushed Mason to the hospital, nearly all of the people who had played a role in their case were finally going to gather in one room. Finally, the evidence was going to be laid out in the open all of it this time. And a judge would decide whether the Brights were fit to care for their own children. I I couldn't fight back the night LeVar came to take the kids. And I I couldn't fight the day he brought my kids home. And they, they, you know, Charlotte had this gash in her her eye. Mason was in the state that he was in. I couldn't couldn't fight back when he said, you know, oh, you're now under restricted visitation. You can only see him once a week. So all of that, I held all of that in. And so that first day of court, man, I was... I was ready. That was pure adrenaline for me because that was the day I was finally, finally going to fight back. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. On the morning of October 3rd, 2018, Dennis Slate and Stephanie Prophet approached the Harris County Juvenile Justice Center, an eight-story white brick building on the east side of downtown Houston. They entered the courthouse with the confidence of professional wrestlers strutting to the ring before a big match. They were flanked by an entourage of legal assistants, pulling carts filled with case documents and tech equipment. When I walk into a courtroom and I'm getting ready to go to trial, when I'm when we're we're going to battle, we're going to put a witness on the stand. I hear that dun 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 dun, you know, song in the back of my head, like you know, Rocky or whatever. And that's how I felt walking into court that day with Dennis. They stepped into the elevator and rode it up to the seventh floor. Other lawyers noticed the grand entrance and came up to ask what was happening. Soon, word began to spread through the courthouse. Anytime I walk into the courthouse and I'm wheeling carts, 
Like other lawyers notice it and they'll, they'll ask me, where are you going? What's happening today? How are you screwing with CPS? And I would tell people, we're gonna, we got something going in Schneider's court. It's gonna be, it's gonna be pretty big. I mean, I think we all went in feeling extremely confident that we were going to be handing CPS, <laughs> well, that we, that it was not gonna be a good day for CPS. Dylan and Melissa were more subdued. They knew what was on the line. If the judge sided with CPS at the end of this hearing, it might be a year or longer before they would regain custody of their children, if ever. The Brights walked into the courtroom around 8.30 and headed to the defense table. Soon, family members and friends began filling the rows of seats behind them. And I mean, so to see uh, that you have that level of support and that many people fighting with you was just huge for us as far as, you know, how hopeful we were, because remember we were, after everything that had happened, there's still that fear that, well, maybe this case won't go the way we think it will, and we'll, you know, maybe we'll, we'll actually lose the kids to CPS. A reporter from a local TV station quietly slipped in and sat near the back. Shortly after 9 a.m., Judge Mike Schneider took his seat behind the bench and told the county attorney to call his first witness. Dan Fee Wynn stepped forward and called on Ms. Melissa Bright. Dylan turned to his wife and whispered, You've got this. Melissa, dressed in a navy skirt, white blouse, and maroon cardigan, shivered as she rose from her seat and stepped into the witness stand. The courtroom itself was pretty cold, but even more than that, it's like my body was hot, but my, my fingers and my toes were cold and clammy. And um, I just... I felt weak and like physically weak walking up to the stand to sit down, you know, like my blood sugar had plummeted or something like that. I sat down and, um, you know, they asked me to raise my right hand and to swear to tell the truth and all the stuff you, again, you see on Law and Order, but you never really expect it to be real life. For the next several hours, Dan and Dennis took turns questioning her along with Charlotte and Mason's ad litem, a lawyer appointed by the state to represent the children. Melissa talked about her relationship with Dylan, about the thrill and challenges of becoming a mom, about that day in July, nearly three months earlier, when she made the mistake of leaving Mason for just a few seconds on that lawn chair. She also described each interaction with doctors and CPS, Dylan watched with pride as his wife confidently and at times tearfully recalled each detail. I mean, she was on fire. There wasn't any cracks in her story because it was all the truth. Every word of it, it was all the truth. And so it wasn't, it just, it wasn't difficult for her to get it out. Based on his line of questioning, it soon became clear to everyone in the room that Dan's strategy was not to prove Melissa abused Mason, as CPS had initially alleged. Instead, he was attempting to paint Melissa as negligent for leaving the baby on a lawn chair. He asked, had you not placed that child on that chair, then he would not have been injured, correct? And so this was preventable, wouldn't you agree? But deep down, Dan didn't believe the argument he was making. Parents make mistakes, kids get hurt, accidents happen but it was his best chance at salvaging the case. I went with the theory that a lot of her actions, although unintentional, were still 
rose to the level of neglect. Um, she did not make, you know, good choices when uh, trying to care for the baby at the time and kind of let them in a seriously dangerous situation in which he sustained a skull fracture. An, an accidental one, but an accident which could have been avoided. I uh, tried to present it in a way to the judge that no reasonable parent would do the thing that she did that caused the child's injury the way that the child got injured. The new line of attack shook Melissa. Like, it wasn't that I intentionally harmed him, but now I'm a poor mother and can't appropriately care for him. And now I have the entire state of Texas telling me how and which way I failed as a mom. But Dennis and Stephanie knew what Dan's questions meant. His case was weak, and he was grasping. By the afternoon, after four hours of testimony, Melissa was emotionally and physically exhausted as she stepped off the stand. Dan called his next witness. State calls Dr. Sarapong. Dr. Kwabana Sarapong was the Texas Children's child abuse pediatrician who first told the Brights that Melissa's story couldn't explain both of Mason's skull fractures. He wore a black suit and took his turn in the witness box. After questioning him about his credentials, Dan asked Dr. Sarapong what explanation Melissa provided for the second skull fracture. She was not aware. She did not have an explanation. Our conclusion was that the second injury, together with the bleeding in the brain, was concerning for inflicted injury. But when Dennis questioned him on cross-examination, Dr. Sarapong acknowledged that it was at least possible for a baby to suffer two skull fractures from a single fall, though he insisted it would not be likely after falling from the seat of a lawn chair. Ultimately, Sarapong said, it was Melissa's inability to give an explanation for the second fracture that made them concerned about abuse. Dennis saw an opportunity. I said, so you're telling us that if Melissa had just come in and lied to you at the hospital and, and gave you a different story about what happened to the child, she lies, then we wouldn't be here today, right? Sarapong thought for a moment and then replied, yes. People were kind of shocked that he would give us that answer. The doctor was saying that if Melissa had simply lied, if she'd made up a story and told doctors that Mason fell a second time, or that he'd bumped his head earlier, CPS might never have taken their children. And you can always tell when you've done a good job of questioning. You're not supposed to show it as a lawyer, but you can always tell how hard does someone reach for their pen to take a note down. And Dan Fee, at that point, I could see out of the, out of the corner of my eye, immediately grabbed for that pen and started writing down this, you know, this note to try and come back and, 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 and explain that issue. Dennis was right. Dan was upset. During a break, he approached Dr. Sarapong outside the courtroom. So you mean to tell me that Texas Children is going to rule every unexplained injury, unexplained child injury into, into this hospital as consistent with abuse, solely on the mere fact that no explanation was provided to you? He said yes. And so I was just blown away. I mean, but, you know, the Brights, they were honest. If they didn't know, they didn't know. And I don't know how anyone can fault them for that. And that's what CPS, I mean, as overworked as they are, they have not been trained to dig in deeper 
to find a reasonable explanation, trying to remove any other doubt as to how those injuries occurred. I asked to speak with Dr. Sarapong and other members of the Texas Children's Child Abuse Team. I wanted to better understand the decisions they made in Mason's case, but they declined. In a written statement, hospital officials defended their doctor's findings, writing that Mason's injuries, both in number and severity, were, quote, highly unlikely to result from such a minor fall. A high concern for child abuse is appropriate, as is fulfilling the legally mandated requirement to report to Child Protective Services. As for the overall mission of its child abuse pediatricians, the hospital told me, there are cases in which, despite a recommendation of separation by physicians where abuse was suspected, the children remained in their homes and are not alive today. These are the tragedies we seek to prevent. It was late in the afternoon by the time Dr. Sarabong stepped off the stand, but there were still more witnesses slated to testify, including LeVar Jones. Judge Schneider called a recess around five and directed everyone to return to court the following morning. As they drove home, Dylan and Melissa felt more hopeful than they had in weeks. It felt like their nightmare was almost over. Just another day or two in court, and then maybe their kids would finally come home, for good this time. But as Stephanie Prophet headed home that evening, her mind was somewhere else. She kept thinking about how similar the Bright case was to the other one she'd been working on. More than a year into their ordeal, Lance and Sade Butler still weren't any closer to getting their kids back. And now, Lance was facing prison time. I'll tell you, I had really mixed emotions as the Bright case was unfolding. But I couldn't help but feel bad for the Butlers because as I would leave court and we were just crushing these people, and you know the Brights are just so encouraged and they're starting to feel a little better about things. And Dennis and I high-fiving and you know, we're we're so thrilled, really just moving and getting strides and Then I would get home and I would be thinking, you know, this is exactly what should have happened with the butlers. There should have been a fight. There should have been a fight from day one. And it really, you know, my heart kind of hurt for them because I felt like it just wasn't right that they had had to go so long without having their children. A few days later, Lance was at home getting ready for bed when he noticed an email from Stephanie there was a link to a news story. Only on Fox tonight, a family court judge has done something that's never been done before by a judge here in Texas. He was so angry with Child Protective Services that- Lance couldn't believe what he was seeing. Well, my first thought was, okay, good. This happened exactly like our case. Now, what are they gonna do about it? That's next time on Do No Harm. From NBC News and Wondery, this is episode five of six of Do No Harm, a story about innocent children and the adults who are supposed to keep them safe. The next episode will be out in a week, but listen to it right now, ad-free, by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Do No Harm was written, reported, and hosted by me, Mike Hicksonbaugh, a national investigative reporter for NBC News. Special thanks to my reporting partner, Carrie Blakinger, whose reporting made this podcast possible. If you want to help us spread the word, please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends. 
Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. In the episode notes, you'll find some links and offers from our sponsors. Please support them. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey. Associate producers are Chris Siegel and Allison Bailey. Story editor is Julie Shapiro. Additional production assistance from Daniel Gonzalez. Music supervisor, Scott Velazquez. Managing producer, Lata Pandya. Sound design by Jeff Schmidt. Executive produced for NBC by Steve Lichtai. Executive produced by George Lavender, Marshall Louie, and Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Do No Harm ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com thrill or text thrill to 500-500. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense thing you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost, but now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you wanna understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on station night. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.